Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Carl Carlson. And this is Fred Shankleberg. Hey, Carl, it sounded like you were chatting just briefly about a question that you got. And it made me think that, oh, there is a lifespan of an FMEA. It has a duration. And it can age, and it can age well sometimes. Yet, I've never much gave that much thought, because it's such a difficult thing to actually get one done well, in some places, in some cases. It, it is. Uh, it is, and that's really the entrance point, because this I got a question about uh, what's called living FMEA, and I'll explain what that means, uh, because it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um but the the point that uh, you were making you're making in our preliminary discussion is that you really need to get to a point of having a good FMEA before you can consider making it a living FMEA, and that is not trivial because I've seen a lot of um, lower quality FMEAs to be kind, <laughs> and the and then it wouldn't do any good to make them living. You take a lower quality FMEA and then you update it with some information. It's still low quality. It's still a lower quality FMEA. Now, when I think of an ongoing or a living FMEA, we do the study, we get the team together, we create a bunch of action items, we go off and knock out stuff. To me, an ongoing FMEA is, you know, after a month or so, we get back together real quick and say, all right, we got these six things done. What's next on the list? And maybe we have updated information or more information to fill in some blanks. But usually I look at that follow-on meeting as being pretty short, and it's basically going back to the well saying, all right, what else do we need to do? Now, that might be different than what you're thinking of. Yeah, let me let me introduce the topic with a story from uh, the 1980s at uh, General Motors. And uh, there was a lot of effort, and it was a really good effort to uh, make sure we don't repeat problems. And they had a uh, recall um, on a um, hood secondary latch. The hood secondary latch is a regulatory requirement. And basically, if you have a hood problem, you don't want the hood flying up in the air while you're driving. Yep. Um, so the secondary latch will keep it from doing that, even if you have the failure of the primary latch. And the hood secondary latch had a failure, its own failure, and had a recall because of it, because it's a safety-related item. Mm-hmm. And recalls are expensive that was on a particular car line. On a different car line, within about two years, the same secondary hood latch failed and had a recall. And so the, the chief engineer and the top engineers are going, this is crazy. It's a secondary hood latch. Why, why do we have the same design on another vehicle? <laughs> That's what I'm yeah. thinking. <laughs> why didn't, yeah. And... Why don't we use, and this is the brilliant question they ask, why don't we use FMEA to make sure we don't have this problem? We know from FMEA what fails on a hood latch. Let's keep that FMEA alive with the field failure that occurred, the reason why the fatigue failure that occurred Mm -hmm. on the hood latch, keep that alive. And then when the new program comes out, you use that FMEA as input. Is your jumping off point. There's a lot of information. It's your jumping there. off point, exactly. Yeah. And it was a really good um, 
program. In fact, every time they had a failure, they went overboard. But every time they had a failure, <laughs> you had to fill out a form to show that you updated the corresponding FMEA. Well, well, that's a pain. But it, when when it costs you a billion dollars, you kind of do that, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But you could imagine that this that became what we called then the living FMEA. There may have been other origins, but that was my origin. Well, that to me, that's you know, you're following a component. I mean, it it could be like that latch, or I, I'm imagining that the uh, ignition in a cons, you know, in a dashboard or some facility like that. Probably well, now you're bringing up a touchy subject. Well, I know that's why I bring <laughs> it up is, but it's those things are what I see in designs, and I think one of the things that FMEA has struggles in my experience to get to is that, oh, well, we've been using that latch on 15 different models and it's not a big deal. Um, and the team that you're working with is, you know, not really aware of what that other model uh, problem was or they, oh, they had a recall, but you know, whatever, that's not our business. And we don't, we don't deal with them where I can see things that, and you've, I'm sure you've been in situations where the FMEA team is looking at something going, oh, that's known. We know that vendor. We've been using them for years and years and years. And, and it, it, it evaporates its interest, even though it's, it's a, has a failure mode that you really should be addressing. It doesn't cause awareness because it's too familiar. And so the, the lifespan of an FMEA, if it's following a known entity and has mechanisms to gather information, especially across different d divisions of an organization or different product lines, for example, that's got a lot of value. Yet I also look at it as going, it also has a lot of overhead. Well, yeah, and that's why there's the two things come to mind while, you, while you're talking there is number one, the FMEA should highlight visually the most critical problems. You don't want a 100-page, 200-page, I saw a 1,000-page once, yeah, me too. FMEA. And because then you're not, you're not seeing what's most critical. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, the first thing. And the, and the second thing is, is one of the values of the FMEA is to make it visible. And so that when you're doing the new design, uh, you, you avoid blind spots. Because what you're talking about, Fred, is a classical blind spot. We always have that. And so they got a blind spot about it. And so you get the new design and they just didn't see it in the new design because it's too familiar or something Yeah, we've like been that. using it for decades. Why, why do right. we need to worry about that? So having it visible in an FMEA, if the FMEA is done well and is, is not um, burdened with too much stuff, then it'll highlight those things that could end up as blind spots and well, uh, so you don't miss them. Well, how is this different than uh, like lessons learned? When that's done well, it's, you know, here's a class of, of failure. Like when I was at Hewlett Packard, we had problems with with uh, multi-layer ceramic capacitors and talk about a blind spot. One electrical engineer explained it to me. He says, you know, I'm under pressure to get the functionality out by a deadline. I can use as many of these capacitors as I want to. I have a, think of it as a big salt shaker. I just sprinkle them all over the place because it's, I, I don't know where the regulatory trips are, where we have unwanted emissions or I want this, the circuits to be as clean as possible. And I don't have time to do the analysis to where they actually need to be. He says, besides, then I have something to do in the next generation when we do cost reduction. I can take them back off, <laughs> is the way he explained it. But the 
the idea is that it's a fraction of a cent component and in vast majority of circumstances, if that capacitor falls off, nobody know. You know, and there are places where a capacitor is critical to the circuit's functionality, but there's plenty of places where it's there for insurance or for to to help clean up something and make it a little more robust. And so what he, they would run into is that if we're doing an FMEA, we're working on the linear logic systems, the power components, the high heat components, the brand new technology stuff. It, you almost never got anybody ever to talk about a, a ceramic capacitor. They were just right. too common. Yet they caused way tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars of field failures because they crack. And so what we ended up doing, instead of doing a, like a living FMEA about electronic circuits and highlighting the, the electronic, the uh, electrolytic or the uh, capacitors, is we did the lessons learned thing saying – these things are glass, they break. You know, don't forget that. And that might be an input into an FMEA, yet it wasn't an ongoing FMEA just about circuit boards, for example. Well, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on this. The, uh, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts. You don't do FMEAs on everything. There are time, and, and I really like the idea of lessons learned, uh, knowing what they are, especially mm-hmm. if they're prioritized. I mean, I, the first time I did lessons learned on uh, wind, door windows is I got a stack of paper that was literally a foot high of uh, <laughs> every of possible failures. way they could yeah, go wrong. Yeah, ways from from the field and from manufacturing and everything. Um, so you have to prioritize. But yeah, lessons learned can go directly into fixing things if the the criteria that kicks off an FMEA isn't met. In mm-hmm. other words, certain things, and we've talked about. You don't once again, you don't do FMEAs and everything. But if you're going to do an FMEA, lessons learned is a great input. Yeah. So I, it's for sure. And I like fracas. And there's a relationship between fracas and FMEA as long as it goes through that preliminary risk assessment. Yep. So you're not doing FMEAs on everything. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what I like to do when I teach is that if you're doing an FMEA, take the lessons learned as failure modes. Call them. Potential failure modes. Yep. If it happened in the field, unless the design said it's totally changed, it can happen again. That's right. And that goes back to that that hood latch thing is that that didn't get input there. And, and so yeah. this other team had that problem again. Right, right. So the, and that's a lesson learned and it actually showed up in the lesson learned database, but it didn't, and I don't think an FMA was done, but mm-hmm. it's, so now let's talk about living. Where living makes sense is what I call generic FMEA. So on certain mechanical systems, think or mechanical electrical systems, uh, think brakes. They're similar enough year to year that maybe seventy or eighty percent of the failure modes are going to be the same year to year. In that case, it makes sense to maintain a generic FMEA. And a database. So when you have field failures, you update the generic FMEA. Then you kick off the variant A, which is going to be a little bit different. And but you've at least got 70, 80 percent of the work done. And uh, so I like that generic. But if you have the type of system uh, that has new technology all the time, like some type of a controller or some type of uh, sensor, it doesn't make sense to maintain a generic. Right. 
right. if it's changing technology. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Like ABS brakes have been around for a while, and I'm quite sure that they, they've tweaked and updated and evolved. Now, how is that better or different than, I mean, especially if you got a bunch of data coming back, you're getting internal data and field data, is to a block diagram on the thing. You know, Absolutely. And, and or an appropriate, you know, physics of failure model. And I'm thinking of a, a, the inkjet nozzles team. They created, they had, I don't know, 30 or so known failure mechanisms. And they were characterized down to like physics of failure type level in some cases. In others, it was just anecdotal and, and, and they could do correlations. But they ended up with this massive Monte Carlo model that would run every day. Uh, and saying, well, if we change this, it improves this failure mechanisms, but it in increases the likelihood of this one in cold environments, for example. And then they could run that simulation uh, and find out, well, what would be the overall net effect? So like in an ABS brake system, is if you've got great data like that, and you understand the failure mechanisms, and... You know, I'd still do due diligence to look for where we're changing something. Does that bring something new into it? Yet, I don't think I need an FMEA, which is, isn't as is informative. I can't run that in a simulation to say, well, what's the effect of a change on this? Or how is the, the can we detect changes in our customer base of how they're yeah. using our products? And is that changing the mix of failure mechanisms? I, I look at that as much more data driven than what an FMEA would be. I, Fred, you're you're a to your core, you're a reliability engineer. <laughs> I've been accused I more. <laughs> there are other tools in FMEA, and yeah. you're describing a system reliability model. Yeah, uh, that you you change one thing, and you look at the how it, the consequences on the rest of the system, and absolutely, the this is one of the things that 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 challenges me, and I'll be. That's an understatement. Um, <laughs> that is when I get uh, people that their entire world is FMEA, and I go, that's not the only tool. There's system reliability models, there's fault tree analysis, there's a lot of other tools. And if you try to make FMEA be the only tool that does everything, you're going to fail. Yeah. So you need to know the limitations of FMEA when you do it, when you don't do it. And you're describing a model that is uses the mathematics of the system reliability model, uh, but has various what ifs. That's perfect. Yeah. See, what I think of w one of the hassles, problems I have with a, a generic FMEA that follows a system along, is that one of the things I perceive as a really core value that you get out of an FMEA is you get that team together to work through it. They. Over that experience, even if you you know you're pulling in data from other places, maybe a previous FMEA. Yet, as soon as that becomes ninety percent done, then the meeting's over in fifteen minutes, and we all feel like we did it. All when right. in fact, you really haven't had those discussions. You haven't really internalized where the trade-offs are, what's important, what are the priorities, and so on. You're you're, you're so right. This is and this is an essential point you're making. Which this is, is three times today. Three times today you said I'm right. I am. I know you're, you're doing great. You're 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 on 100. <laughs> percent um, The the importance on it using a generic FMEA is you don't copy paste it. You use it as input to your failure modes, and then you can say the team has to then wrestle with what's different about this design. Uh, we had that failure mode from the generic, but 
now we have a new environment, we have a new this, we have a new, new that. Mm -hmm. How does that interact? And does it make this failure mode more likely, less likely, more mitigated? You got to have the team. Yeah. No, the concrete example of that is like on a brake system is we're putting it on a, on a smaller chassis so that it's lighter weight. So mm -hmm. that will change some failure modes and mechanisms. It'll heat differently. It'll do a bunch of other stuff. It doesn't have as much heat sink around it either. So it's, how does that, I can see where it becomes a focus on what's different, which is the critical piece in my mind. Um, yes. Yeah. The danger, yep. and I've seen it, I'm sure you have, is somebody says, oh, we did an FME on that five years ago. Let's just use that check, done, move on. Absolutely correct what you're saying. We do not want to do that check. If you have a previous FME, great. That's an input. That that way you can look at it and say, hey, they had a failure mode back then. You know what? We forgot about that one. Yep. Let's make sure we don't have that one. Or you may say, they had a failure mode back then, but we've since changed the design. There's no way that failure mode could happen. Okay. As long as the team reviews it. I and We've talked about in previous podcasts, the debate between automated FME versus team-based. Mm -hmm. And... I was on the team-based team, and it is so essential. But on the other hand, you don't want to waste the team's time by redoing something that hasn't changed. If the FMEA quality was good, you can review it and look at it and say, okay, we're not going to redo that portion of it. That would be the team reviewing it, but then not consuming the time to redo it. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. that. One hurdle I ran into is that there was like two or three different FMEAs that were coming into this system FMEA, and they all used different, um, I don't know, scales. They, they, oh, they, no. You know, well, I mean, it's they were all using one to 10, but it was one team, you know, kind of made it a, it would be really a one to five. And another team is they were more conservative and another team was a bit more pessimistic and so on. And so that what the system team did is say, Oh, these are all good inputs. Here's the top hits from each of these groups. Um, did we miss anything because of the system interaction type stuff? And then we didn't bring forward any of the scoring. It was really the failure modes and, and consequences and, 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 a, and a handful of causes, but no scores. And so the new team scored it and had to wrestle through with that. It was the only way I could figure out. And I don't like it when a team is unable to change the scoring to fit their own input. It, I find that forcing it to be on a, on a given scale is you end up with twos for everything and nothing's there's no distinguishing, for example. Totally, totally agree. This is a, this is a, we're in, we're in new ground here because you're getting hundred percent still. <laughs> it's and, kind uh, of scary. I got, I'm going to keep pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> the, but it, it brings up two points and I, I know we're, we're going to run up against time at some point here. So I want to make a two points. One is uh, what you're describing is a numbers game. And that's the worst type of FME application is where they get into a numbers game yep. and uh, they say, well, this is a, this number there. The, the whole point of scales is to qualitatively differentiate risk, right? Let's differentiate the risk between one to five, one to 10, one to seven. Um, the let's not focus on, because we don't know what the exact reliability is. We don't know what the exact occurrence is because we've changed the design. We're not doing an FMEA. We on suspect something that, this is going to be more often than that one in an yeah. occurrence, and that's all we know. 
Exactly. So you want a, at least when you're beginning, you can eventually get to more data as you have more data. But in the beginning, it's qualitative analysis. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter to me what the exact number is as much as is it more or less than something else so you can prioritize issues. Right. And so that was one point. And the other point is, what, when would you do a living FMEA? And I'll just explain that in, in, and try to do it in, in one minute, which is the reason why you do this is, is what I call variance, not just what I call. It, it's variance. So you could have this, let's take the anti-light brake system. And so you've got a Malibu, you've got a, um, a GMC, or you have a different flavors of vehicles, right. uh, Cadillac, CTS, that use a similar uh, brake, anti-lock brake system, but it's not going to be the same. Right. Because they're going to they're have different parameters. You don't want to update every single FMEA. So you could have seven or eight variants. And if you're in this business of updating the FMEA, you're going to update seven or eight variants. That's a very time-consuming thing. Better is then to use a generic and update the generic and make that input to the next program or not do that at all. And you just make sure you use the field failure information as input. Yeah. So I covered a lot there, but those are, that's how I answered the question to the person on living FMEA. Yeah. Well, I, the only thing I could add to that, Carl, is then also look at system modeling or some other set of tools that may actually be more, you know, appropriate for what you're trying to accomplish with the, it, don't dilute the value of the FMEA I think is core to my mind. Yes. It's, it's that's when you do it, do it well. And yeah, there's inputs and variations you can deal with. And the living model of that is a input. It's not the end all of it. Keep your eye on the ball because yeah. that system modeling can be, is obviously very critical as part of the process. Yeah. And you completely agree. Okay. I don't know. I have to go back over this recording and see how many times you agreed with me. It's kind of scary. <laughs> we might be a, a, a highest ever. I know. I just uh -huh. I think you were just piling on there at the end. So if you're a read a listener and you don't agree with Fred, yes. <laughs> <laughs> please speak up if you don't agree with Fred. Now the uh, if you have a application of quote living FMEA unquote or an application of um, a different variants how you deal with it would be really interesting to us. Oh yeah. And, definitely. and so yeah. please get in touch with us, ask your questions yeah. and, and all tell us what works from your end. Or if, yeah, especially questions, we, that really gets us going sometimes. But, uh, anyway, head over to AscendoReliability.com slash go slash S-O-R, and you can find a couple of ways to get in touch with us there. Carl and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and through our About pages on Ascendo. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch. And in the meantime, we're going to go fill out some FMEA forms. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I'm not. Sounds like a fun afternoon, Fred. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Carla. We'll, okay. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.